Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode involves a discussion about a sensitive topic. Details may be upsetting to some listeners. Of the many issues that divide Americans today, Few have inflamed passions more than abortion. Good evening. In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalized abortions. The majority in cases from Texas and Georgia said that the decision to end a pregnancy during the first three months belongs to the woman and her doctor, not the government. Thus, the anti-abortion laws of 46 states were rendered unconstitutional. This debate has been raging for decades, ever since women were given the right to abortion in the landmark U.S. Supreme Court ruling Roe v. Wade. But that hasn't stopped frequent challenges to Roe v. Wade by states looking to weaken or overturn laws that allow legal abortions. This week, the Supreme Court heard arguments on the most consequential challenge to abortion in decades. As I understand it, you're arguing that the Constitution's silent and therefore neutral on the question of abortion. In other words, that the Constitution's neither pro-life nor pro-choice on the question of abortion, but leaves the issue for the people of the states or perhaps Congress to resolve in the democratic process. Is that accurate? Right. We're saying it's left to the people, Your Honor. A decision expected next year in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health could weaken or even strike down Roe v. Wade altogether. To lifelong pro-choice advocates like Lori Bertram Roberts, the slow erosion of a woman's ability to get a legal abortion in some spots has been chilling. I am one of those women, and it's hard. I mean, I, I can just say for myself, my, my story was I just had to deal, and I didn't deal well. I, you know, I tried to self-abort, and it didn't happen, and I tried, and like some of the dumbest ways I feel like. I tried riding rides at the county fair. I tried drinking a bunch of alcohol. I tried falling downstairs. None of it worked. And then you just, I know for me, I just got to a place where I just was like, okay. But I also had like this dual mind about it where it was like, it was real to me, but it wasn't. In this episode of Connect the Dots, the future of Roe versus Wade. And what will happen if the Supreme Court decides to support states' rights to further restrict abortions? As the High Court debates this issue, we'll look at the lengths some women have to go to to have a legal abortion in America today. We'll look at just how restrictive some state laws have become. And we'll hear from a pro-life group, hoping these state restrictions will help end the practice altogether. I'm Linda Lopez, and this is Connect the Dots from Odyssey, a weekly podcast where we bring together multiple perspectives to unpack a single compelling story. 
It's hard to imagine a more significant case before the U.S. Supreme Court than Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health this past week. The case centers on a 2018 law enacted by the Republican-dominated Mississippi legislature that banned abortions after 15 weeks, with some exceptions, like medical emergency or severe fetal abnormality. The public debate in the high court this week included what the New York Times called sometimes tense and heated questioning. This is part of the fabric of women's existence in this country. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts? It's always hard to predict how the court will rule next spring, but that doesn't stop veteran watchers from offering some observations. Following the arguments, many experts said the Supreme Court seems poised to uphold the Mississippi law. But just how the decision will impact Roe v. Wade is unclear. Will the court's six-member conservative majority overrule Roe entirely? Will they draw a line at 15 weeks for legal abortion? What does seem clear is major changes are likely, but we won't know for sure until next June. Lori Bertram Roberts has long advocated for reproductive rights in the South. You heard her at the top of the episode talking about her harrowing journey with an early pregnancy. She ended up having that child. In fact, she's the mother of seven children, and she's forged a commitment for women to have a legal path to safe abortions if they choose. Today, Bertram Roberts is executive director of the Mississippi Freedom Fund, a group that provides financial assistance to women seeking abortions. She has a keen eye on the Mississippi case that came before the high court this week. If Jackson Women's Health wins, you know, not much will change. Everything will stay the same. But the thing that I need people to really understand is things staying the same will not be necessarily a good thing. Everything staying the same will still be people not having access, people not you know, being able to get to providers without driving six hours round trip, people not having access uh, that's equitable, right? Um, people who are marginalized, who are undocumented, who are disabled, not having access. So even where we are now is not, you know, not ideal. Uh, row is the floor, not the ceiling. Bertram Roberts says it's especially difficult for women to get abortions in southern states. If a pregnant person wants an abortion in Mississippi, you need to have an ID. So that's barrier number one. Um, there's only one abortion clinic inside the state. And if you, if Jackson Women's Health is not convenient to you, the other clinics that are outside of the state probably aren't that convenient to you either. So most of the people who we assist are driving mm, an hour to three hours to their appointments. So that means two to six hours round trip. And you have to make that trip twice unless you can spend the night and get your procedure the next day because there's a 24-hour waiting period in Mississippi and there's a 48-hour waiting period in all the states surrounding Mississippi. As well as the time needed to travel to the procedure, many can't afford the appointment to begin the process, furthering the inequities amongst women seeking an abortion. So you have to have money for your first appointment, which is usually like $150. Um, if you get there and your ultrasound shows that you're too far along, then like you've lost that $150 and now you have to start all over at the next clinic. 
Um, that's just how it works. And because there's not another clinic for them to transfer you to in the state that you can use that same um, first appointment knowledge that you, the consent that you did there, you can't transfer that to Alabama. Roberts adds that this disproportionately impacts marginalized groups because they don't always have access to the resources needed for an abortion. For especially low-income patients, the cost of an abortion can interfere with food, rent, or daily living expenses. And due to the Hyde Amendment, enacted in 1977, federal dollars are banned from being used for abortion coverage, meaning that programs like Medicaid, which is the main health insurance program for low-income Americans, will not cover the cost of abortion. It's a pretty obvious way that it happens is because, you know, any marginalized group is more likely to be um, impoverished. That's true in Mississippi. It's true in Alabama. So whether the intersection for you is you are queer, you are black, you're brown, indigenous, um, disabled, whichever, or at the intersections of many of those identities at the same time, the likelihood of this impacting you in a greater way is higher because you already are struggling with all of these intersections that restrict you from access to jobs, money, healthcare, you know, the things that are already going to make it more likely for you to need an abortion. And then when you need an abortion, not have the 600, 700, 800, $900,000 plus travel money to get there, get back, um, or the resources and support to make it very easy for you to go. Um, one of the things that myself and one of the case managers were talking about the other day was that, you know, a lot of our clients have support, you know, like they'll have a support person, but even with that one support person, that doesn't mean they have money. And although abortion is legal in all 50 states, the main issue, Roberts notes, is the rhetoric used to deter women from getting the procedure. You have all of these challenges that keep coming up and coming up and coming up where they keep saying, oh, they're going to close the clinic. They're going to close these clinics. They're going to close this clinic. They're going to close that clinic. Even when it doesn't close clinics, it gives the impression that the clinics have closed. So even the rhetoric of every legislative session, clinics being, the image of clinics closing gives the impression that they've done something to restrict access. And that hangs in the air for a good while. There is a reason why every abortion fund that you call pretty much has a message on their message, on their you know voicemail that says abortion is still legal in all 50 states and insert state that this abortion fund works in. If you call the Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund, ours says, you know, abortion is still legal in all 50 states, including Mississippi, because it is. And so, you know, that's just another way. And then the other way is they reroute resources for children and families to crisis pregnancy centers, which are fake clinics, right? And in a state like Mississippi, we have one abortion clinic and like a bazillion crisis pregnancy centers. Not quite a bazillion, but we do have about 60, right? So you have 60 crisis pregnancy centers that are out here going, thinking about abortion, you know, pregnant, need help. Uh, we'll help you, you know, free ultrasounds, blah, 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 free pregnancy tests, blah, blah, blah. And so when you have like that much anti-choice 
rhetoric out there. And then the, the state is sponsoring it. But at the same time, they're refusing to include anyone providing abortion care or even talking about abortion care with Medicaid funding. And despite there being no scientific evidence linking abortion to cancer, many clinics have given pamphlets to patients stating that abortion can cause cancer or depression or even suicide. The stuff that you go through for your um, orientation where you have to go through your informed consent is the same for everybody. Part of the informed consent that's very controversial and is just ludicrous is that the doctors actually have to tell you um, lies. They have to lie to you and tell you that um, abortion can cause breast cancer. No. Um, the clinic has to give you or at least offer you this booklet that has a bunch, every CPC listed in the state. Um, they, they're required. They have to say it. I couldn't even tell you the year, but I know that those laws have been going on for at least 10 years. Oftentimes, women do not want to see the ultrasound of the fetus before receiving an abortion, but some medical providers have pressured patients to view the ultrasound, sometimes without their consent. There's also the laws that require doctors to make, you know, like to give people the chance to see their ultrasound. So like Alabama requires, you know, that people are allowed to see their ultrasound. I just recently had someone call us who was like, I had an abortion before. I don't want to see the ultrasound. Like, I just don't want to. I, it's not something I want to do. I know what I'm doing. I'm fine with what I'm doing. I just don't want to see the ultrasound. And so I had to find a state that would let her not, like, just not let her see it. Like, to, she had to get it, but she didn't have to see it. Mm-hmm. And let me just be clear about this ultrasound requirement. There is no medical reason for requiring an ultrasound. You can determine gestation without an ultrasound. I'm telling you this as a midwifery student. I'm telling you this as a doula. Like, you can determine gestation through an exam. Mm -hmm. Doctors have been doing it for a long time. Like, this isn't a secret. Like, we, you can, there are doctors in other states where ultrasounds aren't required that don't do ultrasounds before they perform abortions. So, I mean, it's not something that's, you know, medically necessary. It's something that states put in as a, as a thing that they hope will be mentally jarring for you. I know that this is a tender subject for a lot of people. They've been out here putting a lot of shame, guilt, you know, and stigma around abortion out for, you know, a long time. And so they're hoping that when y'all, you're laying there about to get your abortion and you see that ultrasound, all that stuff they've been putting out there will go in your head and you'll feel all the guilt and shame and stigma that they've been putting out here for a hundred years, right? And so, and especially in a state like Mississippi or a state like Alabama or any of the southern states where you're at the buckle of the Bible Belt, right? They're hoping every nasty thing they've ever said in church about Jezebels and, you know, fallen women and all that stuff. I know because I used to be a fundamentalist. Um, They're hoping all that stuff will flood in in your brain and you'll get up and feel like you should go gestate a human. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast it will take months for the supreme court to rule on the mississippi case they just finished arguments on and the stakes are high according to the pro-choice policy research group the gutmacher institute if the court rules to weaken or overturn Roe v. Wade, 26 states are certain or likely to ban abortions. This despite public polling from Pew Research Center earlier this year that says 59% of Americans believe that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. 39% said it should be illegal in all or most cases. Pro-choice advocates are concerned. They believe deeply that a woman has the right to determine her own choice in the case of an unwanted pregnancy. One in four people who are in reproductive age and able to get pregnant will have an abortion. One in four. That means you know somebody, everybody, someone knows somebody who has had an abortion, period. That's Heidi Seek, the chief empowerment officer and co-founder of Vote Pro-Choice, a political project that supports abortion activists and creates pro-choice voter guides. Two-thirds of those people have already become or already parents. They're already mothers. They've had other children. And 87 percent of those people do not regret it. Since the 2016 election, when Donald Trump won the presidency but lost the popular vote, Seek has become even more passionate about the cause. Vote Pro-Choice was founded in March of 2016 with the intention of helping voters who were, in theory, voting Democrat for Hillary Clinton to vote all the way down the ballot through the lens of reproductive freedom, because that's really important for folks to be able to vote in every election. Now, more than ever, uh, reproductive freedom is at stake in this country, and we have just kept going. Vote Pro-Choice has evolved now to be both the largest national voter guide in the country. Consistently, we've done about 14 of them, six national voter guides that provide vote the voters in the country all the information that they need to be able to vote th- through the lens of reproductive freedom. But we also endorse and support candidates, which we call pro-choice champions that are running in critical races like local state elections, um, school boards, 
uh, mural races, that sort of thing, because we know that the importance of reproductive rights and freedom need to be protected at every level of government. So I've been doing this a long time, and I'm not going to stop. For Sikh, fighting for these rights is important, especially given the polling on abortion in America. Oftentimes, what I've noticed throughout the years is that when people say the word abortion, that you automatically get, I don't want to talk about it. There's a feeling of shame or, you know, you know, that's a woman's issue. Uh, that is, you know, very marginalizing. It's a hot button. It's contentious. It Planned Parenthood's going to deal with that. NARAL, Pro-Choice America is going to deal with the political aspect of it. It's like, just, I don't want to deal with it. But the fact of the matter is, the truth is that the access to abortion, reproductive freedom, is a ubiquitously agreed upon issue in this country. We just saw new polling data come out this week that we are a pro-choice nation. Nearly 80% of this country does not want Roe v. Wade overturned. They want some form and access of abortion services, reproductive freedom. And that means everybody. This is not a women's issue. This is an everybody issue because any pregnancy has an entire community around it that it impacts. If America is a pro-choice nation, then why are Texas and Mississippi fighting for tighter restrictions on the procedure? Why is Roe versus Wade in question? In the 80s, uh, the Republicans realized that they needed to make sure that this minority of people, it's about 18% of the country, really does believe that abortions should be criminalized and banned entirely. The duty of everyone here today is clear. We must not rest, and I pledge to you that I will not rest, until a human life amendment becomes a part of our Constitution. And in order for them to win elections, they needed to make sure that they were shoring up that group of people by uh, making sure extreme laws were passed and they were keeping them in the loop. At the same time, the Republican Party and the conservative political machine started investing in leadership pipelines and um, think tanks and legislation analysis, and most importantly, recruiting judges by building the Federalist Society, where it's an extreme investment in political infrastructure to basically shore up this this minority, this political minority, in order to gain political power. So what we're looking at is 30 years of investment in infrastructure of this overly funded anti-choice minority, that this is actually the fruition of all of their investments. We are a pro-choice nation, but the fact is that the progressive political Democratic Party hasn't met that investment. They haven't invested the same. Most of our money goes to reproductive rights organizations like Planned Parenthood or NARAL or that sort of thing. And frankly, I'll be honest, the Democratic Party and progressive movement have often done the same thing of like having a little bit of shame about talking about abortion. It's like, oh, that's a women's issue. Oh, I don't want to talk about it. And so we have abdicated power. So now, it's time. Now people are aware of what's happened, but basically it's, you know, we've, we're behind. So what does she think the U.S. will look like if Roe is overturned? Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, and it does create a certain floor of access. It basically protects abortion up to about 23, 24 weeks viability. 
And then over the course of time, there's been um, opportunities for states to continue to chip away at access in later term. This six-week abortion ban in Texas is the first time there's ever been an, a, a pre-viability limitation, and we're certain that it'll be passed in other states as well. So that's what we're looking at. It's a real uh, innovation in terms of the anti-choice minority circumventing, um, manipulating the courts and circumventing uh, the constitutional protection of Roe. So it's already really bad. There are absolutely 100% people who are being forced to stay pregnant in this country. There are people who are being incarcerated for exercising their own body autonomy. And there's lots of folks that don't have access to the birth control and information that they need. Plus, folks are really confused. So that's today, right now, in at least you know 56% of the country. But we are looking at a Supreme Court decision on this Mississippi 15-week abortion ban that will be, um, there are all our arguments on December 1st, and it will be decided probably by June. We have every um, indication that the Supreme Court will look to limit more pre-viability abortion, if not overturn Roe almost completely. And so what happens then is 26 states have some form of uh abortion ban trigger already in their pieces of legislation. And I'll just give you one example that is that is really egregious. In the state of Louisiana, in 2006, they passed legislation that is an abortion, a, a row ban, a trigger ban, which means if Roe is overturned, this immediately goes into effect. So this will criminalize abortion, make it a felony with a $100,000 fine for anyone who provides an abortion or helps anyone um, access an abortion and will be 10 years mandatory forced labor with no exception for rape or incest. So that's been on the books since 2006 in the state of Louisiana. And that is what will happen if Mississippi overturns Roe. While the future of the legislation may seem uncertain in light of recent decisions, SEEK is determined to keep pro-choice voters activated. For anybody who's fighting systems of oppression, we have to have a sturdy foundation of freedom. So, you know, there are a lot of people who out, out there that are saying, oh, I'm pro-choice, but I might have my personal perspective of limitations. And that's fine. We all deserve a chance to decide what pregnancy means to us or how we build our families. But the key here is that reproductive choice and freedom to determine if and when you become a parent is absolutely required for gender equity, racial equity, economic opportunity, overall health and well-being of your communities. And this includes sex ed and birth control and abortion care. This is not a fringe issue. It's not something that's over there in the corner, just like we talked about at the beginning. If you are someone who believes in personal freedom, equity, and liberty, then you must advocate and prioritize reproductive freedom. But there is another point of view. Pro-life advocates are just as passionate about this issue. We spoke to Amy Gerke, the executive director of Illinois Right to Life, a nonprofit pro-life organization dedicated to helping women find alternatives to abortion. She believes women are often pressured to get an abortion from their friends, families, and even doctors, and that there should be more options discussed with patients 
before abortion becomes the first choice. The abortion industry was destroying the one thing that makes us uniquely feminine, the, the ability to have a child. Then later, when I was in college, um, I saw firsthand the immense pressure women are faced with when they are facing an unplanned pregnancy. Um, pressure from family, pressure from friends, pressure from physicians to abort their child. Um, and, it, you know, the abortion industry talks about a woman's right to choose and women's equality and that abortion is so integral to that. But in that experience, as well as with dozens upon dozens of women I've met through the years, it wasn't their abortion experience was not empowering. It was not something to be um it's not something that they felt enriched their lives. And in my you know, 35 plus years in the pro-life movement, I've met woman after woman after woman who has said that, you know, if they had had all of the information prior to their abortion, if they had known that there was somebody who could support them, that they would have chosen life for their child and that they really felt that they didn't have a choice. And the other thing that struck me is that the, the feminist movement is all about women's empowerment and women can do anything. Women are strong. Women are resilient. Women are smart and brave until it comes to pregnancy. And then, oh, we can't tell a woman what the, you know, the reality of her preborn baby, its development, that it has arms and legs and fingers and toes. In Illinois, there are some specific laws pro-life advocates would like to see changed. We're on the defense. <laughs> We're basically trying to um, stop pro-abortion laws from being passed. As I said, there are huge pro-abortion supermajorities in both houses of the Illinois legislature. So um, our goal in 2022 is to expose those legislators who voted for the repeal of parental notice, who voted for SB 18, the, the radical sex education bill, and who supported the RHA back in 2019. Gerke says that for Illinois right to life activists, helping families considering abortion for financial reasons support themselves after childbirth is important, along with fighting for legislation. We have a grant program in Illinois. The program is called Project Love, and we provide money to women who are considering abortion because of immediate financial crisis, as well as young families with uh, newborn babies and young children who might be struggling financially. So these families can get on their feet, parent confidently, and know that they have support not only before their babies are born, but after their babies are born as well. She claims that many Americans do want restrictions on abortions, and she would like to advocate for more policies limiting when in the pregnancy someone can receive the procedure. We would love to see um, a day when we're all out of a job and abortion is a thing of the past, but that is... Uh, you know, for Illinois, that is nowhere on the immediate horizon. Although the Texas Heartbeat Act gave Gerke and other pro-life activists hope, she says that Illinois law would most likely be the same, even if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. This is another misconception that a lot of people have. They think that should Roe v. Wade be overturned, abortion would immediately be illegal in America. And the most likely outcome is going to be that um, abortion regulations are returned to the states. Um, so in Illinois, nothing is going to change uh, because of the Reproductive Health Act, which was signed into law by Governor Pritzker back in 2019. Abortion is enshrined in the Illinois Constitution. So 
We expect that, uh, you know, should the court rule, as many believe it's going to uh, in the Dobbs case later next year, that the floodgates are going to open in Illinois and people will be coming from throughout the Midwest and even beyond for abortions in Illinois. So right now, Illinois Right to Life is preparing for that day. We're educating the people of our state. We're letting people know just how extreme our abortion laws are. So some reasonable restrictions can be put back in place. And we can come to a day where the people of Illinois understand that abortion takes the life of a unique preborn baby and that it leaves women with uh, scars that they have to live with for the rest of their lives. Even so, Gerke and Illinois Right to Life, just like their counterparts in the pro-choice movement, are determined to keep pushing for legislation that the organization believes in, regardless of the fate of Roe v. Wade. And despite the upcoming trial in Washington, activists on both sides of the spectrum of reproductive rights agree that things need to change to address this delicate, fragile issue. There are consequences to having to have a child you are not economically, emotionally, physically ready for. You know, I was very sick and I'm still like it was like there's a lot of things that happen behind that kind of stuff. It's not the blessing that the antis think. And it doesn't mean just because you go on to love your child and you bond and they're wonderful. That doesn't mean that it worked out to be a blessing. It just means that you coped with the trauma and moved on. Yeah, I'll never understand this narrative that they have about how they're like empowering us by making us gestate and like giving us some blessing. You have not given me anything but trauma by not allowing me to have the right to make my own decisions. This episode of Connect the Dots was written and produced by Lauren Barry, Sydney Fishman, Tim Sheld, and me with production assistance by Dempsey Pilat and Tim Sheld. The executive producer and editor of Connect the Dots is Mallory Samara. Subscribe to Connect the Dots so you don't miss an episode. You can find us on the Odyssey app and on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. From WCBS 880 in New York, I'm Linda Lopez. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. All-Star Closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.